Is, is that an old joke or is that, is that like when you haven't heard before? Or? I've never heard that before, but it's so true. Like it's yeah. not windy here right now. And that's a rarity. That's an exception. Okay. Yeah. I usually am chewing dirt. Like in, uh, black, in what uh, I do. From, from, from the wind? Like, Oh yeah. Like it, cause I work horses. Uh, I, I train horses and a lot of times it's outside. So, uh, it's, it's just a lot of chewing dirt, um, from the wind. I once went to a doctor's appointment and they, they were doing something. I had to do a bunch of, uh, samples and tests and it came back and they said, you have like the strangest amount of dirt in your stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, is that normal? And they're right away. They're like, no, this is not normal. We've never seen this before. What are you eating? (laughs) Extra pro- probiotics that are just blowing off the field into your into your mouth and down your throat. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know if it's good for the immune system, but I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> I hear the that what is good and what is not good in terms of your gut uh, flora and fauna these days. Every every couple of days, I'm hearing new research that's arguing about all that. That's such a hot topic these days, and it, it seems to change constantly. Yeah, no, I've actually heard a, a couple of times recently from, well, I'm not sure exactly how reputable sources, but reasonably reputable that like the whole thing that we, we need a really healthy gut biome is, is, is that is true. And it's a really great idea. But the notion that uh, eating yogurt or probiotics or taking all these kind of like that, that does nothing. Um, and that is certainly a change from what I had been hearing, but I've heard it in a couple of places lately. That either you have the, the good the good gut biome and and they're they're unsure about what you could do to improve that, but but taking expensive probiotics is it's all just going through you, not actually binding itself into the 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 the, the ongoing biome in, in in your stomach. Which I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. That is. I, what are they recommending then for good gut flora? Well, that's the thing. Is I. I one of those pieces I saw was, was in a book that my brother-in-law was reading that he, he's from overseas, so I didn't get to borrow it from him. <laughs> I should buy it. Uh, but the other was a, a CBC radio interview. It was yesterday, in fact, this uh, Israeli um, immunologist. It sounded very bright, but um, and they didn't have any direct recommendations of what you, you should do. Except, actually, they said even after... Uh, like, you know, the, the classic thing, well, not classic, it's relatively new, but after you're taking antibiotics, that you should take probiotics. This, this Israeli researcher who sounded reasonably reputable said that their studies actually showed that, that it's worse than not taking them at all. Your, your, your gut biome recovers better without probiotics from antibiotics than with them. So that one surprised me. That is very surprising. Yeah, yeah. It- it would be interesting to see what the like what they're coming out with for new studies then on what they are recommending, or if it's just maybe all along I've been doing the right thing by eating dirt. <laughs> well, that's what brought this up, Sarah. Right, and I kind of wonder maybe you are like, yeah, no, I, I it's certainly something that it's not a professional interest of mine. I, I don't work in that area at all, but it is it's something I am pretty interested in following following along what what the re- latest research says on it. Cool. Um, so I, I missed the entire beginning. Maybe you did do an intro um, 
or maybe you didn't, but uh, what, what is it that you do, Scott? Uh, that's a great question. It, it's really interesting because the, the name of what I do is, is something that, that <clears throat> is a little bit of a moving target. Um, because of my qualification, I have a master's degree and, and I have you know, definitely some training in, in sport-related things and then talking about mental and emotional uh, stuff related to sport. I, I also do sort of more standard psychotherapy with, with, with ordinary folks. Um, so in the sport world, I tend to call myself a mental performance consultant. Um, tricky thing with that is there's lots of people who call themselves that who don't have any training in, in actually doing therapy. They've just, just sort of got a kinesiology background and then they do, you know, basic visualization and goal setting and not, not to minimize that, that work. It, it, it's certainly valuable, but, but, but what I do that is beyond what some of those folks do is I also do psychotherapy and, and, and I can, I think, bring a, a more of a mental health perspective into the work that I do with athletes, but I cannot call myself a sports psychologist, which I know Kathleen uh, called me in, in, in one of the last the last uh, ep- episodes, and, and, and it's a common mistake. And, but psychology is a, a protected title in uh, in, in Manitoba, and, and I, I, it's not not a qualification that I have. I have a, a master's degree. I'm a certified psychotherapist with Canadian Psychotherapy and Counseling Association. But yeah, it, it's one of these things where you have to be careful what you call yourself. Um, so I'm more likely to describe what I do is that, you know, I talk to athletes, I talk to other you know, high performance people, sometimes musicians, sometimes business people um, about, well, how is your emotional and, and, and mental sort of what's going on in your head and your heart, as well as the sort of social implications of that. How is that affecting your performance and what you do and how you, how you want your, your, your sport or, or whatever your, your field is, how you want that to go. Long answer to what could be a simple question, Sarah, but I, I appreciate the question because it is something I'm, I'm sure you're interested in talking I, about. Yeah, I have so many questions now. This is such an exciting topic. Now I know why Kathleen was so excited to get you on the podcast. <laughs> well, she and I have been talking about this on and off for, for, for a while. And so, yeah, no, I'm super, super excited for, for this as well. Yeah. And, and Sarah, you work, you, you do. I mean, I, I know Kathleen's work reasonably well, but what she's described to me is you do more or less the same thing that she does, but you do it with horses when she's doing it with humans. Yeah. I, I also have no description for what I do uh, because it's a long story. (laughs) Right. Well, you and I have something in common there. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, well, how are you, you can't pinpoint something like it's such a broad subject. And when you're talking about the emotional and the mental end of any sort of athlete and the, the horse is an athlete, just like the human is an athlete, uh, what we run into with the horses, they can't talk. Right. Um, yeah. But then I guess with the human, the problem is, is that they do talk. <laughs> <laughs> Both ends of the other side of the same coin. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I always tell well, and cer- she picked the easier species to work with because they don't talk back. <laughs> well, and certainly with, with lots of the equestrian athletes, that I've worked with, we, we've had lots of conversations about. I mean, of course, that this is a, a team sport, and, and you're you're an athlete, uh, a pair of athletes working together. But but that there's you know a little bit of power differential, and that the rider is supposed to be supposed to be the boss. Um, but certainly, the, the conversations I've had about how horses and and uh, and human athletes are, are communicating have been yeah, super super interesting. I, I, that's one of the things I actually really really enjoy about working with equestrians. I've, I've I wouldn't say that I, I don't say at all that I specialize in any particular sport, but but the equestrian athletes that I've been working with have been uh, 
it's just a neat and different, exciting um, aspect to, to the work that I do. And I, and I feel lucky to have been kind of introduced to that world by, by a few people. So our last... What? Sorry, Sarah, I'm interrupting you. Um, no, go ahead. Our last episode that we just put out this Monday, we focused so much on um, like being in the zone and living in a non-reactive way to either things that happen in performance or things that happen in life. So it's pretty cool to have you come on in this episode, which is going to follow that episode, because um, I thought you could go a lot more in depth into that topic than while me and Sarah went pretty deep. <laughs> um, oh, I wish I heard that one. I, I, I heard one that you recorded, I think, a couple of weeks ago, the one about where you said, um, well, the title was something about we'll always have our, our cats. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wish I'd been able to listen to this most recently. That sounds super interesting, the, the, uh, yeah, the non-reactive way of... Go, our, sorry, go ahead. It was probably our deepest episode yet. Okay. But, um, yeah, so Sarah, you might have a better question on this, but I was just looking forward to seeing how we could expand on that topic of less reactive living, I guess, more mindful living, um, in both health, like random life stuff and then also performance, especially for riders. Yeah, I, what I was, it's funny, you and I were on the same train of thought again. I was thinking about, um, what Scott has seen in, um, the manifestations that end up happening on the physical end of things when people are living in that kind of that reactive state. Well, yeah, no, I could probably talk about that for, for, for a while. Um, I, I think we, we get lots of different um, things that, that happen when we're living in a more reactive as opposed to a, a more proactive or, or more mindful or more, more intentional uh, way of, of living. And, and I, I'm going to sort of give a little preamble to that in that I, I think there are like idealizing the notion of living in a non-reactive way in a more mindful way, I think it is, it's great. It's certainly something that I think would be really uh, valuable for lots of us. Um, and probably some people do it more, more than others, but I think probably lots of us, most of us even have uh, moments when we're living in, in, less reactive ways, more, more mindful ways. And, and, but sometimes we get sort of over-focused on the fact of like, oh shoot, I just, you know, I did this and it didn't go well. And if, if people are aware of that, that notion of, of being trying to be less reactive, more proactive, more mindful. Um, one of the things I like to talk to people about is how, how do you um, try to step away from judging uh, that in yourself because as soon as you judge it, 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 it it's not really helping anyway that, that that's a little bit of a, a, a side note but to get your your question sarah um yeah no i mean i've certainly worked with with athletes who have, have spoke to me spoken to me of a, a variety of, of injuries and and i think those who are a little bit more um aware of, of themselves and their bodies. And then certainly equestrian athletes are more aware of themselves and their bodies and their horses, um, you know, sort of emotional, physical uh, connections have been able to tell me, yeah, no, Scott, I, I'm, I'm actually, I have some awareness that this injury uh, has an emotional component to it. Maybe it actually came from, you know, a, a bad body check in hockey or, or, you know, a fall from a horse or, or it, it, you know, an event, but in terms of actually recovering for it, from it, in terms of it, um, 
some of the pain that they feel like, yeah, no, lots of people have been able to tell me that they have, uh, they're aware of the emotional component to that. I'm, I'm a little bit more careful in terms of my own work, as far as seeing somebody and hearing them talk about, about some physical symptoms and, and me making an assumption, oh, that must be, um, because of some of the mental and emotional, uh, stuff that, that you're going through. So I, I tend to, um, Excuse me. It's pretty important to me to to make people that I'm working with the experts about about their own lives and their own internal experience. Um, yeah, here's long roundabout answer to to your question, Sarah. But certainly, it shows up all the time that that that, that non mindful way, that non reactive or more reactive way of, of being contributes to our, what what's happening in our bodies. I, I'm I'm aware myself. My shoulder's been sore the last you know, 14, 20 hours. And I'm like, well, what's something bothering me? Like, I, I, I know it's not just, not just physical. And so, yeah, short answer to your question. Yep. Sure. Definitely see that. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's actually super cool that uh, thinking in that way, even just thinking when something ends up bothering you and you know, you didn't injure it. Like the, I mean, the shoulder is shoulder and lower back would probably I mean, you guys are the people thing. I see it in horses all the time, shoulder and lower back. Um, from it, it, a lot of times, nothing happened. It was just an emotion and something that uh, um, something emotionally happened in their life, and yeah. it ended up causing it. Well, when I think about my own experience with horses, which is very very small compared to both of yours and, and most of it quite a while ago i i uh yeah i certainly remember seeing you know, some of the horses i knew they were not maybe as well trained as some high performance athletes equestrian or like horse athletes are they were quite skittish and you could see the, these sort of emotional reactions that were happening left right and center all the time and i, I never forget this guy i knew we were working at this this summer camp and he was he was talking about a horse and just flitting as we would go by something on a trail and he he uh his joke was oh yeah the horse just saw a saber-toothed elk meaning like it's nothing it was an elk it was a deer it was like but it thinks that it's a saber-toothed tiger um but i think lots of us have those those kind of reactions where something is way blown out of proportion to to what we what we think it is the saber-toothed elk lurking in the forest is is really nothing it's an elk that would be terrified horse probably but but the horse's reaction or a human reaction to lots of the things that we run into is, is that we just get um emotionally bent out of shape as as a reaction right and we're kind of aiming for that non-reactive way of living i i would suppose that in many ways really well-trained horses might be less reactive to some of those kind of run-of-the-mill things that not as well-trained horses might be reactive to but given that you work there with probably well Kathleen as well you guys both work with higher performance teams of human and and um and equine athletes uh be really interesting to make a distinction between what are the kinds of things that those athletes are reacting to as compared to to less well-trained humans and horses i feel like it's often the same things but it's better to yeah often in the higher performance end of things like they found better ways to compensate for certain certain things or the same things that grassroots or amateur riders are compensating for, but just in a more obvious way. That's what I see anyway. Like I, what I see in an amateur or grassroots rider 
in one area, it's just either manifesting differently or much better, better, more, more hidden or in a different way hidden. Yeah, I, it, it totally, it's, um, a lot of times the, like the grassroots horses that I end up working with, the injuries that they're dealing with, um, they're, they're actually not as extreme because they're not getting pushed as hard, but they, to that horse, it's maybe more extreme, um, because it, it is in a more feeling place. It's not, uh, a lot of the performance horses I work on, they are a lot better at pushing things deep down inside and just not dealing with it because there's a job to be done. Um, so I, I don't know if you're seeing that in the same, same sort of way, Kathleen, like with the, the higher end athletes, it's no, we got to work through this. There's no time for a break versus the grassroots. It'll, it'll be like, Oh, I, I stubbed my toe. I can't do anything today. <laughs> <laughs> And like, like I, I mentioned in our last episode, one thing I see so frequently is people getting, or riders being very focused on reacting to whatever a symptom or a situation they end up in. So, I mean, a common example of riding is not um, framing up for them. Um, and they get so fixated on finding that frame and forcing the horse into the frame that they forget about the rest of the picture and they only focus on that one little symptom. And then from a different perspective, that's what I see all the time with clients in the clinic in terms of pain management is that they get so fixated on just the symptoms of their pain that they forget about all their other things that could be contributing to their perception of that pain. Uh, and I'm sure, Scott, that's something you deal with probably more frequently than either of us do in terms of the whole picture approach to uh, performance or a symptom of, of a condition or injury. Yeah, Kathleen, definitely. I mean, I don't always say this to people in, in a, you know, a counseling or a performance consulting meeting that I would be having with people, but um, when I'm looking at, at, at whatever kind of issue that somebody might be bringing to me, I, I, I sort of use a bit of a rainbow metaphor that if I'm looking at the, um, at the green and the rainbow, I, I'm trying to be aware of the fact that there's yellow on one side of that and blue on the other, right? And, 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 and certainly that, like, everything has a larger context and and for me in the work that I'm doing with humans that that context can can be a lot of different things in the sport it can be the context of of, of coach it can be the context of teammates certainly it can be the context for equestrian athletes of dynamic between themselves and the horse and the coach other riders um who who are the other people and, and horses and, and and what's the social atmosphere at a show for instance um but even in ordinary you know, sort of run-of-the-mill people, that's not a great phrase, but people I'm doing regular psychotherapy with, the context of their family, the context of social context in terms of our, our larger culture and, and the pressures that it puts on, on all of us. That I think about with, with regular therapy as, as well as um, as athletes. And, and, and yeah, no, the, <clears throat> the way that, that context and, and the wider picture uh, affects all of what we're doing is, and that's a huge part of what I'm thinking about in, in the way that I do my work all the time. Is there, um, is there like one, I mean, simple is probably the worst way to frame it because there's no, nothing simple when it comes to this stuff. It is, but it isn't. But is there a way, Scott, that you find, um, or is there a simple tactic that you find helpful when working with people to help them become aware or stop living in such a reactive way? Like what, what are some examples of ways that you get people or in, in the reactions to things? 
Yeah, no, I don't know that I have a, an, an easy answer to, to that, Kathleen, because I um, probably, like, I don't often use the, the, the phrase, oh, oh you're, you're dealing with this in a really reactive uh, way. <laughs> but that's not really part of the vocabulary that, 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 that I use uh, with, with folks that I'm working with. Um, certainly, I, I'm often, like, co-evaluating with people. Uh, hey, how is... Um, how, how is this with you? Is it okay with you if things are going in a certain way? Um, and if it's not, then well, how, why, why is that not okay with you? That if, you know, if you're you're constantly having arguments with your coach, and that's affecting your performance uh, in the ring, on the ice, in the pool, on the field, wherever. Um, then what do you not like about that? Because I'm I'm I'm, I'm very interested in how people's um, values and, and their preferences and, and kind of hopes and dreams and, and what's important to them in the world. I'm very interested in how that can be um, not only a, a motivator for change, but, but in some ways a, a driver for change that, that if, if somebody's actually really focused on, on um, doing really well in their sport or, or in their, you know, in their business or just in, in their life. Um, I, I'm usually thinking that something that's that's really important to them, that really is sort of central in, in their values and, and what they want to see for themselves in their life in the world, um, that's probably going to have more effect in terms of helping them a be aware of a, of a of a problem and 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 b make some changes around it than me saying, hey, you know, it looks like you're being pretty uh, reactive here. Why don't you do something different? Because that for a lot of people that. A, it might come across as a little bit judgmental, but B, it, it, it takes me away from that position that, that I, I find really valuable of making people the experts about their own lives. So if I'm asking questions that help people come to the conclusion like, yeah, you know what, it's actually, I have this really important value in the way that I see the world, that it's important to me to uh, be a good athlete, but not at the cost of it affecting too much the relationships that I have with my family. Well, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about the importance of the relationships that you have with your family. Or, or if, if the answer to questions like that would be, um, you know, I'm actually really quite willing to, to make some sacrifices about my, uh, my schooling and the professional training that I might have for a career after sport. I'm, I'm willing to put that on hold because my sport is so important to me. And, and, and then, the, you know, there's some of these mental and emotional things getting in the way of me uh, making a certain team or, or achieving a certain level of performance in my sport. Then I'm hoping we can actually use it, it like there's a really big commitment that that person has made if they're willing to put other important things aside in their lives. Uh, I'm interested in how that uh, how does that commitment um, maybe we could even make a comparison to like the commitment that somebody would have about, about their sport is maybe comparable to, to um, be more mindful, meaning that, that they're, they're really focused, they're really dedicated, they're really committed. They're, they're, uh, and if in, in some ways there are you know, sort of some reactive actions that, that they're engaging in w without really having much awareness of it, we can use that sense of commitment, that sense of dedication, um, that sense of sacrifice to the sport to say, well, when this or this happens, um, you know, how well does that fit with uh, the passion that you have for, for doing well in this sport? And, and I think that can really help kind of wake people's awareness up to say like, whoa, yeah, no, I do want to make this, uh, you know, NCAA um, program. And, 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 and if uh, this kind of reactive behavior, like 
yelling at an official or, or uh, this kind of sort of nervous habit that I might have of some kind of anxiety or, or being unfocused just before um, before a competition. They can make a connection between that being in the way of, of this important goal and, and sort of refocus on the importance of the commitment, the goal, the, 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 the sacrifice, the dedication, whatever it might happen to be. I'm hoping that's going to help them um, make a more, we could call it a more mindful decision, a more intentional decision to say, yeah, okay, Here, here's why it's not okay with me that, that I'm, uh, my, my knees are shaking a little bit before I get on a trampoline for a competition because like, oh, okay, when I actually make that connection, because uh, I think making those connections, that kind of awareness actually builds mindfulness in a way that, you know, lots of mindfulness practitioners might not actually call, you know, the sort of mindfulness that you might learn in a meditation class. Um, but it, I think it, it, it's, it's aware, an awareness, a presence, like kind of a present intentionality that I think is, is quite comparable to, to mindfulness, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, going in that same direction, um, because I mean, this is the direction that you're actually going. It was really interesting is how, what's your advice to people when they're trying to overcome limiting beliefs? Um, you know, great, great question, Sarah. And I, I hear those kind of questions, not, not rarely. Um, when people are trying to overcome like if they would actually use the phrase to me, hey, Scott, I've got this limiting belief. It's really holding me back. Um, I'd be really curious, and, and I would be probably asking more questions than I would be giving advice. Um, what are some of the, the pieces of, of the background? What's some of the history of how you came to actually believe that? Like, is this something that, that you know, was sort of talked about in, in your early sport training like with the coach that you you had for your, for your grade seven volleyball team really focused on something that kind of stuck with you a little bit was it some of um you know something you heard from some older athletes that actually isn't really very functional and, and they never really got to be very good at like I'm, I'm really interested in history because I don't, I don't think unless we have some sense of what the influences are that push you towards be- believing something or thinking something or, or, or being focused in a certain way and unless we have some sense of, of knowing the influence that's where I get back to context right that like there's there's often a social context if you have not necessarily learned this from a person who directly taught you this belief but you've learned it from watching other people from being around other people from other people coaching or influencing you because you know we're, we're coached directly by coaches but we're also coached indirectly by other athletes around us by what 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 our parents say around us by by what our teachers who even take us out onto the playground or teachers who, who influence us in, in the way that we perform in the classroom we're influenced in so many ways by that and often in um in ways that we don't really have that much awareness about so i'm actually really interested in building awareness about how certain influences took you to a place where you might have a certain belief and is that um can can you look at some of that background and say to yourself, well, I, I can actually sort of pull this apart and, and, and tease it apart and say to myself, well, you know, just because, you know, Jenny, my gymnastics coach, taught me this when I when I was, uh, you know, when I was competing when I was 12, and now I'm in a different sport. And, and like, like I recognize, like, I actually don't have to believe that anymore. And it doesn't mean that I have to disrespect this coach that, 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 I, that I looked up to and then I learn other good things that I do value from. Um, but I don't necessarily have to 
agree with that, particularly when I can make an identification of the fact that, hey, this is actually holding me back. And here are the ways directly that it's holding me back. And this is my vision of what I could actually see I would be doing differently or could be doing differently, would have the option to do differently if I chose to um, think differently about that belief. So I don't know if I can summarize this the, uh, sort of wide-ranging answer I've given to your question, Sarah, that I, I, I'm interested in people having the ability to make really intentional choices around those kind of beliefs, like where does it come from? How is it serving or not serving me? What are some of my options if I chose to believe something different? And then also, what are some of the influences? Because this is really important. If you, you look at, there's lots of things influencing you to believe a certain thing, and those influences are very powerful. If you just tell yourself, oh, I'm just not going to believe that anymore, that's much less likely to work than if you can actually identify, well, hang on a second, there's some other influences in terms of uh, other people I look up to, uh, books that I've read that I really value, um, that can kind of give me uh, a, a different, um, well-supported context for, for a, a new belief, a new way of thinking about things. Often it's actually not even necessarily a new way of thinking about things or a new belief so much as it is one that's sort of been um, kind of under the radar. Usually people have... have commitments, um, dedications, things that they really value or believe in that have sort of been uh, kind of overlaid by, by what some people might call limiting beliefs. And I'm interested in, well, what are the things that can support you more in what you want to believe, what you want to think, how you want to uh, interact with your, your thoughts and emotions um, so that then you can actually be making well-informed, intentional choices about this is how I want to be thinking, this is how I want to be feeling, uh, and, and these are, are you know, the, the people, the books, the, the movies, podcasts, whatever, who, that can actually influence me um, in the direction that I want to go. Again, a really another super long answer to your question. I hope that made sense. No, that, yeah, that was a great answer. Um, I, that is in so many ways, like just acknowledging where it came from, what it is. And then just saying to yourself, this isn't serving me. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's super cool. You want Kathleen? No, I totally agree. I mean, that's a lot of what we were talking at. Um, well, we've, I think we've probably mentioned this in almost every episode we've done because this is a topic both of us, like you and Sarah and I <clears throat> focus on for ourselves quite a bit. And we're in that kind of learning process. Everybody is. Um, but definitely in our last episode, we kind of went into this and, and led us into then choosing to react differently and choosing to maybe not react the, react at all or whatever it may be, living in that more mindful way. Um, that's kind of the first step in building the, the awareness to doing just that. Yeah, and, and I might underline that, like, how do you find support for for doing that, for, for choosing to react in, in a different way, whether that's um, even sort of like having a picture in your mind of, of, of a time when you did react more that way or, or ha having sort of an emotional connection in, you know, in some of the preparation you might do before a competition or, or even a training session of just remembering this person who you know actually really supports you to, to, to be thinking or believing in ways that, that are more helpful for you. Um, because I, I think we need to be well connected to um, what supports us in making our, our our own good choices, rather than just sort of saying it in a in a 
you know, in an isolated way, yes, I'm just going to think this. That that that's that's easy to say, but harder to do without kind of a more in, encircling support from, again, people, books, ideas. Yeah. One of the yeah, that's when you were saying that it just made me think of one of the tools that I often use with clients when it comes to habit train change, and often this is nutrition related, but could also be directly implied to many performance situations is um, using the tactic of noticing and naming. So um, I'll use a nutrition example because that's easiest, but eating something that maybe is not on the list of things you should be eating, but you eat it anyway. And instead of just guilt tripping or over guilt tripping yourself over that or feeling bad for eating that instead noticing how it makes you feel when you eat it after you eat it um, the day that you eat it and how uh, how it impacts your physical system, but then also how you feel mentally after you eat that said thing. Um, you could translate that into any any other context for performance. And then just taking note of how the sensations you notice, the feelings you notice, the emotions you notice, and then using that later on the next time you're faced with that same scenario, coming back to that same moment you just had um, or that you had noted before noticed and named is the, is the drill that we use. Um, and just remembering that and going through that same process in your head and then making the decision on how you're going to move forward. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the, uh, the, the detail orientedness of that, that approach, Kathleen, when you're actually looking, well, what happens? Let, let's sort of look at, at the, um, the, the nitty gritty of how do you feel? How do you react? How does that affect your, well, any number of different processes in your body, your, your sleep, your focus, your your ability to, to feel pain or, or not. Yeah, no, I, I like that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I thought would be an interesting question to ask, because this is a topic that we focus on quite a bit um, in our different podcasts and both Sarah and I's uh, work with other people and with horses, but directly people. Uh, what would you, how would you describe the principle of intention or how, what does intention mean to you when you use it? In different- yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Kathleen, because when I, I'm just reflecting as I'm considering my answer to that question, I've used the word intention or intentionality quite a lot in this conversation already. Um, to me, I, I think in, intention, a, a part of it is uh, what do you want? Like if, if, if you're an athlete and you have um, goals and you know you want to be able to you know, move from the hunter ring to the jumper ring or you know you want to move from, from, from a certain uh, height, whether a jumper or hunter, to, 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 to a slightly bigger height or you want to go to more competitions, whatever the, the, the goal might be, um, you can say that, that you want something, but, but to set it as an intention mean, means that you've actually decided, yeah, no, this is not only what I want to do, but what I'm, what, what I'm going to do. So I think it, it's desire um, mixed with um, a, a will to make it happen. I think that, that's, that's, that's one piece of it. Um, I think another part of it is hanging on to that, that will. Um, and, and being aware of it and, and approaching each part of uh, what you do in relation to that, almost with like a belief that you are going to make it happen. Um, I'm just trying to think of a good example that I can illustrate this with. I mean, say uh, 
you were an athlete who, who'd been in, in the, the hunter ring for a while and you really decided you were going to make uh, uh, a switch to the, to the jumper ring, the intention would be like, okay, what, how am I going to actually make, make that happen? I just can't say, oh, I want to do that. But, but I have to then say, okay, well, when I get to uh, the barn or the, the ring or wherever I'm training, what am I going to be doing uh, today that's an intention for my, my daily training that's going to lead me to my, my uh, longer-term intention? I don't know if I'm actually describing this, this, this very well, but like, I think um, an intentional choice is a choice that, that is connected to uh, something you want to see happen. Um, and, and when you're uh, walking into the barn and going about your, you know, tacking up your horse and, and, and getting on and, and, and doing some, some training rides, if you're doing that in a way that is um, similar to the way that you've always done it and the results that you've been getting are, are, are mediocre, then it's not really connected to an intention to do, to do better, to do differently. So, I mean, if, if you've always been riding in, in the jumper ring and you're not acting like you're doing anything different in the way that you just go about your daily routines of your equestrian life, um, I think that's not going to get you anything different. Whereas if you've got a really, really clear intention that I, I'm going to make a change here, it doesn't mean that you're, you've decided and, and it's a must that you have to make that switch, you know, in the course of, of, of two weeks. Um, but you have to be riding, uh, like somebody who is planning to, 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 to be a jumper, whether that's even just saying, okay, I'm just going to raise my, my heights in, in, in my hunter practice by just a couple of centimeters or by, I don't actually know what the, what the gradations are in those jumps, but, um, or you have to be even thinking to yourself, well, okay, I'm just going to try to get, get my horse to, to, to lift its feet a little bit higher, even if I'm going on the, the same. So there's, it's kind of like, there's a, a constant, um, focus on what you want to see happen. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of talking around this in, in a way that I'm, I'm not sure if I'm describing it very well, but is that answering the question partly, at least, Catherine? I think so. Yeah. Sarah, do you have anything to add to that? No, that like that's what we talk about on a regular basis is that intent and how I have had this conversation with Kathleen on how I believe that uh, you can jump completely from intent and that you don't have to force a horse to do anything. Um, and one day I really hope that the horse industry starts like more people start seeing that because there's, there's so much strength from intent. Um, maybe you can uh, go a little bit more in depth with that. Scott, just some of the things that you've seen, um, that come from intent that, uh, um, I, I like maybe some different examples. Yeah, you know, when I when I think of some people that I've I've worked with, where I've seen a really, uh, you know, a, a strength of intent or a strength of intention, um, I, I, I've seen it have have a lot of results. Like when I think about some of the, the people that I, I I've worked with who have um, competed at, at quite a high level in in, in a variety of sports. Um, I think that intent is sometimes even connected to somebody's sense of their identity. Like if they see themselves as a person who 
is is going to compete in their sport at, at, at a high level and that, that's just sort of how they view the very fiber of, of their their being I think that intention is is kind of linked to to identity and in those some of those kind of situations I mean I've seen people who've really been kind of knocked back by by injury or by, by other kind of difficult situations um, who have an intent that I would maybe even sort of link with 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 determination like you know, I am going to come back and I, I'm going to um, I mean, I get to a higher level of competition than I ever did before. And it's, it's actually really exciting to be in a conversation or in a room with somebody when you can see that. I, I, I feel really kind of blessed and honored to, to have had some conversations with some people who I've seen have this really, really strong, really, really um, dedicated and focused intention that, you yeah, know, I am going to be... Uh, a fencer at an international level. I, I'm going to do, um, just trying to think of some of the other examples of some of the sports that I've worked with. I mean, just some hockey players and soccer players have gone and played in the NCAA that, that, that like it, it's <clears throat> sometimes that intention seems to be almost just kind of, I don't want to say in their DNA because I, I don't think people are just born with that. Lots of people I think would, would say, Oh yeah, they're just born with that. But I, I think, um, it's often from uh, like a decision and a focus. Like when people really decide, yeah, no, when I, when I, I'm going to go to the hockey rink every day, I'm going to go to the barn every day, I'm going to go to the pool every day, I'm going to practice <clears throat> and train with the intention of accomplishing this goal. Well, if, if, if I'm actually seeing myself as the person who's going to, to do this, uh, then I'm seeing myself as the person who is putting in uh, that extra effort when, when I'm, you know, when I'm doing backstroke and I, I know I've got another two laps to go that I like, I sort of pull something out of my butt to, to force myself to, to go faster. When I know that I am uh, doing pretty good in my form in whatever sport, but I, I just need to put that little bit of extra focus to, to make that slight shift uh, in the way that I, that I hold my hand, the way I place, place my foot, uh, the way that I, you know, squeeze my, my legs around my horse before jump, whatever that the people are, when they have that that strong intention that that's sort of linked to their sense of identity as an athlete or, or another kind of performer, um, it becomes much easier to make the choices that, that say, yeah, no, I, I do the the little extra things, I I, I focus on it this way, um, I push myself when 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 needed because I'd like, I like, I know this about myself. What else would I do? Um, yeah, I think intention when it, when it is it's really really um, sort of richly connected to, to to someone's sense of their identity and and, and their the, the way they live their their daily life and yeah no it, it, there can be a lot of um, power from it I, I certainly I can I can think of some athletes that have seen um, make pretty big changes pretty quickly it, I worked with an equestrian not long ago who told me about about making a, a, a switch from, it was maybe, I think they hadn't been jumping at all and, and moved to um, jumping at quite a reasonable height in, in, in an amount of time with my knowledge of the question words that really surprised me. And they asked some more questions and I realized, okay, this person's got a really clear, strong intention, determination. Um, and, and it was, you know, when I talked to them about the other parts of their lives, uh, their intentions about the way they they performed in other aspects of their lives were were similar, and that, that like they sort of made up their mind and they and they did it. 
And I, and I want to be careful in that I don't want to say that, you know, there are just those people out there who make up their minds and they have these strong intentions and, and they are different from the rest of us. I think uh, anyone can do that, but it, it comes back to then like, what are the things that um, kind of undergird that? What are, what are like some people do that better when they have more social support. Some people do that better when they, you know, when they've actually done some journaling and writing about it. Some people do better at that when, when they do a lot of kind of mental imagery or visualization around that. There, there are lots of different things that actually support people in being able to kind of hang on to and stay connected to, to really um, focused and passionate intention. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I mean, well not all I'm hearing but the biggest thing I'm noticing is just like it's like to to have intent in a certain way you have to essentially find this faith in that whatever that goal is that you've set is you're going to accomplish it no matter what and I know for myself and a lot of the things that I've accomplished it, it becomes I won't say easy but the hard parts of the process become a lot easier once you just lock into that faith that that's going to happen and that's where you're headed and there's no other way to do things. It becomes the only choice, the obvious choice. Yeah. I, I worked with a, with a performer who wasn't an athlete, but, but in the performing arts who used to speak about, and, and this was, I'm, I'm confidentiality is quite important to me. So when I'm sharing these stories, I'm not sharing a lot of detail, but this person without giving any identifying detail gave me permission to share this, this idea of not giving himself a choice when it came to whatever it came you know, whether it was his, his own fitness that he thought was really related to, to the artistic performance he was involved in or, or the training that he was doing around uh, the artistic endeavor that he was part of. Um, when he set out a certain uh, set of things for training, the kind of thing that you might wake up in the morning and say, well, I don't want to go for this run today. Or I don't want to go for this weight trainer. I don't want to go to this, you know, rehearsal for whatever performing thing that um, I don't want to do that, that sort of extra at home uh, time and training or practice um that because lots of times when, when we come to am i going to go for this run today or am i going to do this extra bit of training today we have a little conversation in our heads that says well where you're allowed to actually have a debate with yourself that says do i want to do this today do i feel like this today oh, i'm kind of tired his the way he did that was he just didn't give himself a choice he wasn't he made the rule for himself he was not allowed to entertain the conversation of am I going to do this today or not? And the way he, he, he just thought about it was, I'm not giving myself a choice. This, this is a non-negotiable. And for, for him, that was really powerful. And, and led to, you know, without getting into exactly what performing art he was in, some, some really remarkable uh, performances that I you know, was lucky enough to, to, to see. It was, yeah, it was really quite something. Yeah, that's exactly it. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, that that's just a really interesting example too of discipline. Um, and I think that one of the things that comes up a lot with like the mindfulness and the intent is that uh, developing that discipline. Um, do you have any advice, recommendations, or ideas on how people can uh, can do that? Yeah, you know, I, I love that question, Sarah, because I hear about discipline a lot in, in so many different uh, arenas, sport-related, life-related. Um, I, I think we have to be careful with discipline and not saying, oh, you have to be disciplined, and so you have to, like, 
be a real sort of nose to the grindstone and, and you have to be hard on yourself because I think for a lot of people, they, they can sort of push themselves to do that for a time and then it just gets to be really too much and they, and they, and they back off of it or they, they walk away from it. Um, I, I think developing uh, increased or improved discipline or, is something that I think we're better off tackling that at a reasonable pace. Uh, and I think we're better off tackling that at um, a, a, a way that can be a little bit forgiving, but but more than anything, it's about developing it as as a practice or a habit. I often use the, the phrase a, a practice of living, meaning it's sort of just a way that you go about doing things. We all have certain ways that we do things, right? Most of us have a sort of certain time of day when we brush our teeth, and most of us have certain practices. We, we are the kind of person who brushes but doesn't floss or the kind of person who brushes twice a day and flosses and we all have sort of ways of going about our, our, our daily things um and and making changes in those i think is tricky i remember hearing um a person in my life who i won't go into detail of who they are talking about discipline and saying well you just can't change that this is a person of generation older than me uh and my reaction i didn't bother going into the conversation with the person because i knew it wouldn't wouldn't um I didn't think it would have any value, but my reaction to that was, well, yeah, you can. But I realized that like changing how disciplined you are um, really isn't easy. And, and I think we're, we're smart to, to sort of bite it off in manageable chunks. So if you can actually say to yourself, well, I want to be a better rider. And so I need to uh, get to the barn earlier and I need to make, make sure that my, you know, my saddles are all cleaned and conditioned uh, just a little bit more than I, I did. And I, I need to make sure that I, I'm brushing and grooming my horse a little better. And I need to make sure that, you know, my, 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 you know, if you have a whole bunch of things that you say, that you're going to do like 10 things better than you were doing before. Um, I think you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Whereas if you say to yourself, okay, I want to be a more disciplined rider. And so I'm going to pick one thing that I'm going to um, work on being more disciplined about. And, and Choose a reasonable period of time. Like if you say, I'm going to be more disciplined about getting to the barn five minutes earlier, don't do that for, for two days. Do it for a week or two weeks and see if you can actually do it um, consistently in a way that that becomes something you don't have to think about anymore. Because I think making conscious choices to do something different from the way that you've always done it is, is, is quite difficult. And trying to do that with a lot of different things at once is, is even more difficult. Um, and it's really easy to do something differently for three days. And the fourth day, you know, you get an unexpected phone call or, or, or your car breaks down. Um, or, or you just, you're just a little tireder than you were the day before. And you just forget that you were going to get to the barn earlier. And you do things the way you've always done it. And so I think if you, you pick one thing and work at it long enough that you can actually see a change, that then you don't actually have to think about it anymore. Um, I think that's the way that practices of living or practices of sport or habits uh, get changed. Um, Kathleen, I don't know if you remember the, the, the workshop that, that I, I did for with, with you. I forget when was that? Was it in March, maybe? I remember one of the things I tried to summarize it at the end of, of the workshop was talking about pick one thing that you want to work on and, and, and make a change about and give yourself some time and, and allow yourself to focus on that. Um, because once you actually realize that you've made a change that is a lasting one, 
that can build a real sort of sense of, of success, a success, a sense of agency and a success, a sense of, yes, I can make changes and I know how to go about it. Like, cause I remember actually, this was a parent of, of somebody I worked with who was talking about um, knowing how to do something who said, you know, if I say to you, you need to go to pick, pick, a, pick a different city. Like it's for some of us, if we say we're in Winnipeg and you're going to go to Calgary, we know exactly what to do. But for some people, I'm speaking more about young people here. If I said to, you know, some 15 year old, okay, go to Calgary. Like there's actually a lot of small different details and actions that you have to, to engage in to make that happen, right? You need to A, decide, are you driving, are you taking a plane, are you going on a train? And you need to, you know, put the gas in your car, pack your bag. Like there's tons of different little things that we need to do that those who travel all the time don't even think about all those things, right? But if you've never done it before, to suddenly teach yourself, you know, if you said to to a 14-year-old who hadn't ever traveled on their own before, go to Toronto, like they just don't know how to do it. But if if sort of roundabout way here getting into to, to parenting. If you tell your 14-year-old, okay, look, we're going on a trip and I'm just going to let you in on some of how I do this. And let's just talk about the, you know, one piece of this. Let's just talk about packing. You're responsible for making sure that your toothbrush and your toothpaste and your dental floss and your comb is in your bag and, and I, I will do the rest. And if every time you go on a trip, you, you make that person responsible for that, sooner or later, they're going to learn that, right? Well, depending on all the other contexts of the parent. I don't want to get into, into parenting too much here. But if we give ourselves the responsibility to uh, change one thing and get really good at changing that one thing, um, I, I think we're more likely to make that a new practice in our lives, a new practice in our, in our way of going about our, our lives or our sports. And then we can choose another one. Sorry, long-winded answer to a question, but does, does it, is that making sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great explanation of that. Um, I, the, one of the things that came up from that, uh, unless Kathleen has something, was just uh, goal setting. Because um, that's a big part of discipline is being able to do the goal setting and um, then follow through on those goals. Uh, I don't know if you've got any... Uh, you probably have something to say about that. Like these are great conversations. Thank you, Scott. Um, but no, you're, you're welcome, Sarah. I'm, in, I'm enjoying this. But one of the things I love about conversations like this is, is conversation gets me thinking. And, and when I'm answering questions like this, I, I, I'm thinking a lot and I'm, I'm putting ideas together in ways I may not have exactly thought about them before. So I'm enjoying this a lot. Um, Goal setting is, is uh, it's very important. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I remember once when I was first learning about sort of the, what goes into sports psychology or sport, sport performance consulting or any, all that kind of thing, reading some things that there was this big thing called goal setting. And I kind of thought, well, yeah, what's the big deal? And, and, and I realize it is a big deal for people because I, I think lots of people have lots of goals, but they don't, um, They don't know how to settle on, on a, 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 well, this happens to me. Sometimes I don't know how to settle on a, a small enough number and, and to actually focus and prior, prioritize. Um, so I think for in, in terms of what people need in goal setting, different people need different things. Some people need to be to be coached or prompted to say, well, you know, what what's your goal? 
and to be actually sort of explained the, the, the difference between a short-term goal and a long-term goal and how do, how do you connect the two and how do, how do you connect what you do at your very next practice uh, or training session to, to your long-term goal. Some people need that more than others. Other people can sort of do that. And, and I think when we're working with people as consultants, uh, athletic therapists or, or horse, whatever wonderful thing you call yourself this week, Sarah, uh, we really need to be aware of what kind of uh, coaching, what kind of um, prompting, what kind of encouragement do the folks uh, we are working with need around goal setting? Some people really don't need very much help with it. Some people need a lot of help with it. Some people need some direction with it. Some people need a whole, you know, a whole workshop with it or to be sent to, to read something about it. And, and some people really need to be like this is me and some people need to be dialed back and say like, okay, you've got 15 of them. Let's, let's, can we pick four? Um, set. Yeah. That's an answer to the question. We could, we could talk about it more, but. I think the biggest thing, like it's funny with goal setting because that I remember it being such a huge, well, it still is a trend, but it was such a trendy topic for the longest time. Yeah. What I've skewed towards now when I work with clients is, I mean, yes, goals are important, all these things, and teaching them how to like specify certain things and set timelines. And this whole smart goal concept is, of course, important if you're you're setting goals. Because a lot of the people I meet really struggle to set goals to begin with. Or, like you said, they have this higher level goal and they say, well, I want to be competing at this level. I want to be able to do this. But they don't actually know how to break it down. Um, yeah. But then, I mean, one thing I've really to to goal setting quite a bit now is just helping people figure out their why behind something whatever the goal may be is why do they actually want to accomplish that because a lot of people can't answer that question either is is why they're actually doing something like what what is their value behind said goal or said topic that they're focused on um and how do we relate that into their i mean essentially their survival but why why relates to their core core values as an individual. And I think that's something you mentioned earlier too, is figuring yeah. out these values and helping to lead into them. Um, and then using that as a tool to help them motiv- motivate them to living more in that sense. Yeah, I love that, Catherine. I know that that's in, in line with a lot of what, what I do, that if, if we we know the why, we know the value, we know that like sense of importance or commitment or, or, or you know, hope streams, whatever in, in the world. I refer to those sometimes as intentional states, um, not to go in a whole big lecture, but briefly, they're, they're internal states and they're intentional states. Internal states sort of say that, like, you've got these sort of deep unconscious drives and that's how life works, whereas intentional states says, you know, you've got hopes, you've got dreams, you've got commitments, you've got values, and you can use those to set your life up the way that, that you want. And I, I prefer the intentional states. I think it's much more allows people a lot more responsibility in the way that they live their lives and and works well in terms of when you when you say yeah you know what what's the why about why you have this goal well and that would connect into somebody's like the power behind their intention and that's a very powerful state to be in um, yes because then you create that that existence of having faith in the inevitable potential that you're going to reach that goal yeah the only outcome that you can reach yeah, no, I think what you're talking about there, Catherine, links, it links goals, it links values, it links intentions, and it links focus. And, you know, I think that works really well. Sarah, I'm just being mindful of time. I'm sure Scott is on more of a schedule than both of both. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I hadn't looked at my watch, which is always a good sign about a conversation when I haven't really noticed the time. 
Um, we should probably wrap up on that note because we kind of looped right around. Sarah, do you have any last questions that you wanted to ask? No, this this was uh, an awesome conversation. I, I love how we really uh, we talked about it last week. How last podcast was the perfect segue into this one, and uh, spot on. Like it just it took that conversation, and I think it added more value to it. And uh, some of the advice and ideas that that's the perfect way to end. I think is ending on the why because uh, it, that is. The number one question in, in a lot of things. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's interesting. I've had, I've had people that I've worked with and with various different goals um, and reasons for coming into my practice. But when I really start working with them and having conversations with them about the why, I mean, it's, it's amazing to see, I mean, always at first, inevitably they're like, well, I don't like, they actually just can't answer the question, but the more we go deeper and deeper into it, I mean, they often get very emotional around it. And once you can tap into the emotion, the intention and the the values and the focus just get so much clearer. And I'm sure Scott, you notice that as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. So we usually end our episodes with a challenge for our listeners every week, um, though arguably we'll be getting less and less focused with those. Uh, do you have a challenge for our listeners this week? Uh Yes, and I'm going to set the, the challenge for myself as well, and, and for you too, if you want to. If you want to, like, I, I would encourage people to. Um, well, I'll say encourage rather than challenge. Like people can take it as they as they want. Um, pick one small thing that you think you could make a difference on um, uh, on a daily basis. Again, get to the barn five minutes early. Um, pack your lunch the night before instead of rushing around that morning. Um, connect it really clearly to uh to do your sport if you like but but one thing and and try to uh give yourself the the, the discipline to, to stick to that one small thing and, and see what difference that makes and, and try to leave other things aside while you're working on that one thing all right that's awesome well um this has been your horse is not the problem with sarah and Kat and special guest scott erickson and uh, let us know how the challenge goes and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Sarah and Kat. I've really enjoyed this conversation a lot. Thank yeah, you. thank you for coming. Oh, so glad to.